Kaisin. Scripture reading this evening is going to be from Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds, brought only a part of it, and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. While remain unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. The Holy Spirit has been called the forgotten person of the Trinity. The Bible teaches that God exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And yet when it comes to the subject of the Holy Spirit, people tend to go to one of two extremes. On one hand, people obsess about the Holy Spirit. It's as if He's all they want to talk about. His work, His person, uh, the things that they claim that He's doing in the world. And it's like you can't get them to talk about anything else biblically related except for the Holy Spirit. And so on one hand, people tend to obsess and they tend to focus on the Spirit in a way that maybe the Bible never really intended for us, at least to that degree, to emphasize. But on the other hand, on the other extreme... Many people tend to ignore the Holy Spirit. They tend to act like we've got the Father and we've got the Son and we're thankful for the work that they have done. But when it comes to the Holy Spirit, we're just going to observe the Passover, biblically speaking. We're not going to spend much time studying or thinking about His work and thinking about His relationship with the Father and the Son and with humanity. And neither of those extremes is healthy. Neither of those extremes is biblical. I don't believe in the time that I've been at Katy that I have preached a lesson series as long as this one is going to be. That is, with a caveat. If your eyes start glazing over, then I will stop this series and we'll, we'll do something else. I, I, I can watch how you guys are listening and I understand when, okay, we've beaten that horse long enough. But I do believe that there is a need for all Christians to spend more time doing a detailed study of who the Spirit is, what He's all about, what He's done in the past, and indeed what the Bible teaches that He's doing in the present. And so this sermon series on Sunday nights is going to be at least eight weeks long with some interruptions. In fact, next Sunday night, we've already got an interruption because the elders asked me to speak on something else next Sunday night. But we're going to talk quite a bit about the Holy Spirit. And so this is the first in a series of lessons about who the Spirit is and what the Spirit is all about. What does the Bible have to say about the Holy Spirit? We're going to talk tonight about his identity. When we use the phrase Holy Spirit, when the Bible mentions the Holy Spirit, just who or what are we talking about? And I'd like for us to start our study this evening with just some false conceptions, some false ideas. 
because there are quite a few false ideas that float around concerning the Holy Spirit. False idea number one is this. The Holy Spirit is an it. Kind of like we talk about a rock or we talk about a tree. We don't assign personality to rocks and trees. And in the same way, sometimes people talk about the Spirit like He's a rock or He's a tree. And in a day and an age when people are obsessed with pronouns, the pronouns I want to be called, and we're starting to put those on our social media feed and things like that, let me say this with no disrespect or blasphemy intended. The Holy Spirit's preferred pronouns are he and him and his because he is a divine person, as we'll see in just a few moments. In Philippians 2 verse 1, the Apostle Paul spoke about how we have fellowship in the Spirit. He's a person. And in Acts 5 verse 4, which we're going to come to in just a few moments, the Apostle Peter said, you have not lied to men but to God. When we talk about the Holy Spirit, don't use the pronoun it or its to refer to the Spirit. He's more than that. A second false conception is that the Holy Spirit is just an impersonal force. I took Physics 218. I still have nightmares about that class at Texas A&M. Physics 218. And my professor must have been genius level because he never really talked about Physics 218. He talked about other stuff when he'd come to class. And one day, he spent about an hour trying to convince us that he and a friend of his had discovered a low-level energy wave that pervades all of the world, all of the universe. And he suggested that this is actually what Christians and Muslims and others call God. And he even suggested that this was what the Holy Spirit is all about. It's this low-level energy wave measured by physics. That's not true either. The idea that the Spirit, and some people have this conception, not necessarily a low-level energy wave, but the conception that he's like the wind. I mean, after all, Jesus talked about the wind blows and you don't see, and that's the way it is with the Spirit in John chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Jesus spoke about it that way. And on the day of Pentecost, there was a sound like a mighty rushing wind, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And so sometimes people get it in their minds that when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're talking about a wind, or we're talking about an energy wave, or we're talking about an impulse. But the Spirit is so much more than those things. Then, false idea number three, the conception of the idea that the Father and the Son and the Spirit are all the same person. We're going to elaborate on this in just a moment when we talk about who the Spirit is. He's a divine person. But what this is referring to is the idea that our oneness Pentecostal friends tend to set forth. The idea that there's a God and he puts on different hats in different circumstances. And so God, if you want to think about the the way I look, God sometimes shows up as God the Father. But then you'll see him in other places and he puts on a different hat. He takes off his father hat and he puts on his Jesus hat. And he shows up as Jesus Christ. And then he takes off that hat and he puts on another hat, the Holy Spirit hat. And the idea is that it's the same exact person over and over being seen just in different roles in different places. 
that's not what the Bible teaches either. The Bible teaches that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are distinct persons. They're all the same being, but distinct from each other. Matthew 28, 19, baptize those who are becoming disciples of Jesus in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. What I've just described is what's called modalism, M-O-D-A-L-I-S-M, modalism. You can Google it. You can learn a lot about God by studying modalism and what's wrong with that theory when it comes to what the scriptures reveal. Those are some false ideas concerning the Holy Spirit. There are many, many more that I could list, and I'm going to be dealing with a lot of those in the weeks to come, Lord willing. But we're just talking tonight about the identity of the Holy Spirit. Those are some false ideas concerning his identity. Let's turn this around and let's just think about from a positive perspective, two things. We're going to talk about the fact that number one, he's a divine person. And then number two, later in the lesson, some names that the Bible assigns to the Holy Spirit. Let's talk first of all about this. He's a divine person. When we speak about God, there are three principles, three teachings that the Bible sets forth about the nature of God. These would be well worth your time to study and to think about. Who is God? What is God like? Three principles, three concepts. Concept number one, the Bible teaches that there is one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 6. One God. The New Testament teaches the same exact principle. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 8. There's one God. But a second concept goes with this. The God that we worship exists, even though he's one, he exists as three persons. And those persons are called Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. As we referenced a moment ago in Matthew 28, verse 19. God is one, but God exists as three persons. He is a being unlike which you have ever met. You've never met anybody like God. No animal exists like this. Certainly no human being exists like this. No angel has this kind of existence. God is utterly and intrinsically unique in his being. He's one and yet he's three. And then the third principle is really mind-blowing as if that weren't enough. Each person, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is fully God. Each one of those persons has the attributes, all the attributes of God. So you have passages like Colossians 2 verses 9 and 10 where the Bible teaches that Jesus Christ that in him dwells all the fullness of deity of the Godhead older translations say bodily. You can't add anything to Jesus to make him more God than he already is. Or when we think about the Holy Spirit Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Acts chapter 5 and look at verses 3 and 4. Acts chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. The Holy Spirit is fully God. He is divine. And you can't add anything to the Spirit to make Him more divine than He already is. Acts chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. Again, look at what Ananias and Sapphira are doing. They have brought this 
money to the apostles and they're lying about how much they're giving. And Peter says this in Acts chapter 5, verse 3. He says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And then in the next sentence, in verse 4, he says, you have not lied to man, but to God. There's a lot to think about just in those two verses. What I do with the church, what you do with the church, God takes personally. I've often taught about what Jesus said to Saul of Tarsus in Acts chapter 9, verses 4 through 6. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul was going around persecuting people, remember? But Jesus took it personally. But this passage says that when we offend or when we try to deceive or when we try to manipulate others, when it comes to the church, we're not lying just to God. We're lying to the Holy Spirit. You've not lied to men, but to God. Who is the Holy Spirit for our purposes? He is a divine person. Continuing, as we think about the fact that the Holy Spirit's a divine person, when I speak about him as a person, in the same way that you and I are people, we're human beings, but think about who we are. We have a will. We have an identity. We have a sense of self. We have things that we'd like to say in relating to others, and we'd like to listen to in relating to others. And all of those things are what make us people, persons. The Spirit is a divine person. Matthew 28, verse 19, he shares equality with the Father and the Son. He shares equality. Think about what Jesus is saying. When you baptize somebody, baptize them in the name of, by the authority of, Father and Son and Holy Spirit. And the fact that the Holy Spirit is included in that expression means that he shares equal nature with the Father and Son. He is God. When I was about three years old, one of my very earliest memories of Bible class was sitting in a Bible class and the teacher had all of us three-year-olds saying over and over, Jesus is God. Jesus is God. She wanted that concept drilled into our minds. Jesus is God. One of my very earliest memories of Bible class. We could do the same thing with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is God. 2 Corinthians 13, 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship or communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all sharing equality. You know, in preparing for this series of lessons, I was reading a number of books and one of our brethren had written and, and made a diagram. He said, when you look at the way many people think of Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, think of it in terms of circles. And the Father is a giant circle. We give a lot of emphasis to God the Father. And then maybe just a little bit smaller, there's Jesus. Just a little bit smaller. After all, he's the Son. And then when it comes to the Holy Spirit, the smallest circle of all. That's not what the Bible teaches about the nature of the Holy Spirit. The Bible teaches that if they're, if they're going to be circles and if you're going to give them size, the circles need to be equal in size. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There's equality there. 
They share the same nature. They are the same. He's a divine person. He's a divine person in the sense that he is eternal. In Hebrews 9 verse 14, the reason I'm standing down here is because I'm fixing to give you a lot of scriptures. Don't try to write the scripture text, but just the references will be enough. You can go back and look at these later. Hebrews 9.14 speaks of how the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself to ble- without blemish to God, will purify your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Who is the Holy Spirit? He is the eternal spirit. If you could get in a time machine and go backwards, you'd never find the beginning. And if you could get in a time machine and go forwards, you'd never find the end. He's eternal. He's divine. He's God. What is, the etern- what is the Spirit like? The Bible says He can be resisted. He can be resisted. Acts chapter 7, verse 51, at the conclusion of Stephen's sermon, when he preached to those Jews, he said, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. What those men had been doing was listening to the, the prophets and listening to now the apostles and listening to messengers of God. And over and over and over, they had rejected the messages that were given by God. And in so doing, they resisted the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is a person, a divine person. He can be resisted. You know, that same principle is true of the Father. That same principle is true of the Son. God has given us His Word. He's given us His mind. And He wants us to listen to Him and to obey Him. But we can resist that if we so choose. The Holy Spirit's a person. He can be grieved. Ephesians 4 verse 30, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. By the way we live. And in that context in Ephesians 4, think about this. Paul is writing especially about anger, about angry words, about the way we treat one another within the body. And he said, when we treat each other with vicious and malicious and divisive types of language, one of the effects of that is that we grieve the Holy Spirit of God. A lot like Ananias and Sapphira, they lied to the Holy Spirit. We can grieve the Holy Spirit by the way that we live our lives. The Holy Spirit can speak. He's a person. He can speak. 1 Timothy 4 verse 1. The Spirit had spoken expressly to the Apostle Paul. The Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. So when we're talking about the Holy Spirit, He's not some energy wave. He's not just the wind. And He's certainly not an it. He is a divine person capable of speaking. The Bible says in Acts 8 verse 29 that the Spirit spoke to Philip the evangelist and said, go over and join that chariot over there. And so Philip listened and he obeyed and he went over and he got in the chariot with the Ethiopian nobleman and he preached Christ to him. Then later on in Acts chapter 10 verse 19, when Peter was pondering a vision he had just seen, the Spirit spoke to Peter and said, behold, three men are looking for you. In subsequent lessons, we're going to talk about whether the Spirit is still speaking like this today. I don't believe He is. But we also need to understand that just because He's given God's revealed Word to us doesn't mean that He stopped being a person. He is a divine person capable of speaking even if He's given everything He's got to say in the revealed Word of God that we have with us now. 
He can speak. He can also hear. He can also listen. This is interesting. Again, a lot of people in their conception had this idea that the Holy Spirit is just this impersonal force and, and it does whatever God wants it to do. That's, that's the way they would phrase it. But Jesus spoke about the Spirit very differently than that. Jesus said, John 16, 13, However, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will tell you things to come. The Bible teaches, Jesus taught, that the way we receive the gospel, think about this, the Father spoke to the Son, Jesus Christ, and the Son spoke to the Spirit, and the Spirit took that information that He heard from Jesus, and He gave that information to the apostles. That's how we received the gospel. It came from the Father, through the Son, through the Holy Spirit, to the apostles who gave the gospel to the world. That's what Jesus is talking about in John 16, 13. That the Spirit would take of what Jesus had given him and would give it to us. He can hear is our point. He can listen. He can love. Interestingly enough, the Apostle Paul in Romans 15 verse 30 says, Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit that you strive together in prayers to God for me and with me. He's capable of love. We sing all the time, come let us all unite to sing that God is love. We're not excluding the Holy Spirit when we sing that song because he's divine. He's a divine person. You look at this list, and there's more that we could add to this list, but just think about this. When we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're talking about someone who is co-equal with the Father and the Son. He's someone who is eternal, can be resisted, can be grieved, can speak, can hear, and can love, among many other things. We're talking about a divine person, and that needs to be a fundamental idea in the way that we speak about, the way we study, and the way we understand who the Spirit is. Just as much as the Father is a divine person, just as much as Jesus Christ is a divine person, the Holy Spirit is divine. Now, with all that said, let's just spend a few moments this evening thinking about some of the names that the New Testament attributes, and the Old Testament as well, to the Holy Spirit. Depending on how you want to count this, and there are many different ways that people have tried to do so, there are something like 34 different ways that the Bible refers to the Holy Spirit. So I'm not giving you all 34. I don't want to preach till midnight. But I will say this, there's a lot more to this particular study than just what we're giving you this evening. Even when it comes to the Spirit being a person, a divine person, there's more that could be said about the Spirit and how He relates to us, how He relates to God. There's more to be said than even what we've said this evening. He is called by Jesus, of all people, the comforter or the helper. Take your Bible out, if you would, and turn to John 14. John chapter 14. And look at this. Jesus didn't just call him the comforter or the helper once or twice. He did it several times. And in John 14, 15, 16, and 17, Jesus is at the Last Supper, and he is giving some last-minute information to his apostles before he goes to the cross. And the apostles are kind of confused, and they're sorrowful, and they're not really sure. They know Jesus is upset. They know Jesus is really, um, he, he's really concerned about what's about to happen. And the apostles are really unsettled. 
And so it's in that context that Jesus says to the apostles, okay, now this is important, he says it to the apostles that he's going to send a comforter. Look at John 14, verse 16. Jesus says, I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. And that phrase, another helper, is is indicative of the one who comes, the Spirit is who he's talking about, the one who comes is going to be of one mind with me, Jesus says. As I have helped you, apostles, the Spirit, He's going to help you. He's going to sustain you. He's going to teach you. Look at John 14, verse 26, as you, same chapter. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. So what's the Spirit going to do? He's going to be your memory bank. If you forgot to hit save on the computer, you've lost all that work. If you spent three and a half years with Jesus and you don't remember every single word and every single lesson that he taught, don't worry about it, apostles. The Spirit, the Helper, is going to bring to your remembrance all the things that I said while I was with you. That's how we know that what the apostles gave us is accurate, by the way. How do we know they didn't have faulty memories? I mean, who among us doesn't have selective memory? The Spirit is the one that gave the apostles a perfect recollection. John 15, verse 26, again, what does Jesus call? The Spirit, he calls him the helper. Some translations, comforter. When the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And John 16, verse 7, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. So when Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit, one of the ways he referred to him was the comforter or the helper, depending on your translation. One who brings comfort, one who brings help. And in this specific context, it has to do with people who needed to remember They needed understanding. They needed guidance to know what to do to establish the church and preach the gospel. Next, still in the same chapters, he's called the spirit of truth. Not just the comforter, but the spirit of truth. John 14, 17, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. He dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus says, the spirit of truth The world can't receive the spirit of truth, Jesus says, because the world is about lies and it's about deception. But you, apostles, you can understand and you'll know. Turn over in John 15 and look at verse 26. What are some terms that Jesus uses to describe the Holy Spirit? The spirit of truth. He calls him the spirit of truth in this particular verse as well. And then again in John 16, 13 that we read a moment ago. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come... He will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. So Jesus refers to the Spirit as the Spirit of truth. So if you're keeping score, we've got Holy Spirit, we've got Comforter, Helper, we've got Spirit of truth. What other names? As you read through the New Testament, does the Bible attribute to the Holy Spirit? This is interesting. Sometimes he's called the Spirit of Jesus or the Spirit of Christ. Still speaking about the Holy Spirit, but he's called the Spirit of Christ. They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, it says, in Acts chapter 16, verses 6 and 7, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they'd come up to Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. 
So sometimes the Holy Spirit's called the Spirit of Christ. Romans 8, verse 9. You, however, talking to Christians, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Spirit of God, Spirit of Christ, Spirit of Jesus. He's called the Spirit of the Lord. In fact, that's what Isaiah calls him. And then Jesus quotes this in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. And so when we talk about the Holy Spirit, who's, who is he? What's, what's, what are some identifying terms and expressions? The Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of truth, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. When we think about the Holy Spirit and names that are attributed to him, the Spirit of God, we just looked at in Romans chapter 8, verse 9, but to bring it up again, Spirit of Christ, Spirit of God. Again, don't get in your mind that the Holy Spirit is over here doing things that are different and distinct and totally out of the purview of the Father and of the Son. Father, Son, and Spirit are in perfect, unanimous agreement about everything that God does. And it's important to understand that when the Bible calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of God or the Spirit of Christ or the Holy Spirit, we're talking about a divine person who is in unanimous consent with what the Father and what the Son do and what they believe and what they, what they believe needs to happen. He's the Spirit of God. He's called the spirit of life. The spirit of life. Romans chapter 8 verse 2. The law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. When we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're talking about a life-giving spirit. There's only death if you turn away from God. There's only destruction if you turn away from God. There's only a, a foreboding future of doom if you turn away from God. But if you turn to God, you're turning to Jesus Christ, who is the way, truth, and the life. And you're turning to the Holy Spirit, who is the spirit of life, according to Romans 8, verse 2. He's the spirit of holiness, the Holy Spirit. That makes sense, doesn't it? Romans chapter 1, verse 4, he was declared to be the Son of God. Jesus was in power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. The Holy Spirit, he's the Spirit of holiness. He's called the Spirit of grace. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 29, the Hebrews writer is arguing with his brethren and he's saying, you can't leave Christianity because Christianity is where the Spirit's work has been done. It, Christianity is where you have access to the blessings provided by Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. And how much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? You've taken this free gift that the Spirit has offered. You've taken this free grace that God has provided and you've turned away from it and acted like it was nothing. It's outrage. It's wrong. The Spirit is the Spirit of grace. And again, you look at those titles and again, there's something like 34 of those as you look through the Old and New Testaments. But that's a pretty good list. I mean, look at, look at what the Holy Spirit is described as being. Look at what his names signify. I mean, before you start, you know, putting your notes away and all this, he's holy. He's a comforter. He's a helper. He is one with Christ and he's one with God the Father. And 
He's a divine person and He's eternal. And He brings life and He brings grace and He brings holiness, those things to us. If all those things are true, and they are, shouldn't we want to know more about who the Holy Spirit is and about how He relates not only in the past, but even in the present, to the people of God. Thank you very much for your kind attention to God's Word this evening. The Holy Spirit was sent by Jesus Christ to make sure that the apostles had the gospel in its fullness, in its complete revelation. And the gospel teaches you and me that more than anything else, God wants us to come to Him and to have a relationship with Him. And the way that a person does that is by believing in Jesus Christ and in the work that He accomplished at the cross and by repenting of sin and by confessing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Romans 10, verses 9 and 10. And then by being buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life, when we think about what God has done for us and when we think about everything that the Bible reveals about who God is, how could we do anything but give our lives to Him? To come to Him in submissive, obedient faith, believing and trusting that He will save us from our sins. If you're ready to put Christ on in baptism this evening, if you'd like to respond and ask for prayers, whatever needs you have, won't you come all together we stand and while we sing?